Welcome to the Weed Smart Regional Update with me, Jessica Strauss, the Weed Smart Communications Lead. This is a new podcast in these crazy times as in-person events can no longer go ahead. So each Monday we'll have an expert from a different cropping region to provide a regional weeds-focused update. Let's get into it. Today on the Regional Update, we're going to be getting a Northern Regional Update. We're catching up with CSIRO Agriculture Principal Research Scientist, Dr. Stephen Yates, who is based in Townsville. He joins us now. How are you going, Stephen? Oh, very well for this time of year up north. That's great. Now, we are going to be talking about the Burdekin, and that's not a region we often get to get an insight on, so I'm quite excited to learn a bit more. So can you firstly just tell us a little bit more about yourself, including your role and what your research focus is at the moment? Okay. I, With respect to the grains crops, uh, I've been focusing on the Burdekin region, which is about 80 kilometres south of uh, Townsville. Uh, which is a sugar growing, irrigated sugar growing area, very large irrigated sugar growing area. And we've been looking at the, particularly the grain legumes and mung bean being the main one with growers, working with growers uh, as a grower solution project to bringing these crops into a sugar farming system on, on a greater, more, more reliable basis rather than being an ad hoc crop when the prices are high. As part of a intensification of these systems and diversification. Yeah, excellent. And so before we get into a bit more of the details about that research that you're doing, for people who might not be too familiar with farming systems in your area, would you be able to just give us a bit of an overview of how your farming systems operate up there? So as far as sugar growing areas, most people are aware that the Queensland coast is where virtually all of Australia's sugar, except for a little bit in northern New South Wales, is grown. The Burdekin uh, is a bit different in that it's a lot of people imagine North Queensland as those high rainfall areas, you know, around Cairns or whatever. It's not a high rainfall area, particularly for the tropics. It probably is for southern people. It's about only about a thousand mil wet season, and it's a sugar growing area with irrigation, which is quite different to a lot of the other areas as well. And it's a large irrigation area uh, on the Burdekin Delta. And so the farming system is dominated by sugar. There's four sugar mills. But there is sufficient land in fallows of various lengths that gets planted to other crops because of the synergies with the cane system, whether it be weeds or pests, but also just from the soil point of view and uh, uh, yield benefits from that. That's on the biological side. On the economic side, every farmer in the world is feeling price squeezes with commodities and it's a diversification and an intensification of the system to increase uh, farm incomes. Yeah, okay, very interesting. And you have been working on this project with GRDC Investment. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the outcomes of, of that project and, and what it's been like? Yeah, look, we probably got a bit lucky. A lot of this, this work started about six years ago and it, it sort of coincided with some ups and downs in cane prices and a greater desire by the growers to move into some uh, alternative or crops in the rotations, cash crops in the rotations. I mean, they've always done it, but it's been a lot more concerted and serious in the last five to six years. And we looked at what had been grown before, and this was with a grower advisory group. We worked with everything's been done with growers on their farms pretty much. Uh, and the big knowledge gap of the crops, grain crops that look good was mung bean. There's 
Soybeans have been off and on on the valley for a long time, same with the corn and a few other things. But the, the main one where the knowledge was lacking and the experience was lacking was mung bean. And the mung bean market has considerably improved to export its high values, so it's better for us for transporting in this region. And there's been really, since about 2008, some huge advances in varieties. Uh, they're a heck of a lot better than they were and marketing. So the time was right and the interest was there. And so the work really focused on getting a system for growing irrigated mungs in this tropical north climate. And uh, it's different to where most of Australia's mung beans are grown, being that they're grown dry land, stored moisture, versatile soils in southeast Queensland, northern New South Wales. Here, range of soil types, fully irrigated, and you've got the option to grow it. Uh, there's two seasons you can grow it, in the late wet season, which is planting about February, harvesting May, or in the dry season, which we call the dry season, which you call winter or spring, that's planting in late August and then harvesting in late November, mid to late November. So two seasons, most of the crop has evolved into the drier season, which the, the dry season crop, mainly because of mung beans are quite susceptible to rain when they're mature and you get quite large downgrading. So it's a, a drier time is a little bit easier and more reliable. Okay, very interesting. Well, that's, yeah, that's a great overview. And obviously being a weeds-focused podcast, we'd be interested to hear about what weeds are the most problematic in your region. What are you facing in terms of weeds? Oh, uh, look, the biggest one that troubles most growers, or there's two, in the sugar system and probably pick me up forgetting a couple, but the two I <laughs> see most is other vines, the Ipomoea-type vines. Yeah. Very difficult to manage and very common in, in the cane system. And obviously the nutgrass being a tropical area. And uh, in the case of the grain legumes, there's a lot of sesbania, which is a legume, in the system as well and that's quite challenging to manage. And what's the approach in getting on top of them? Obviously, being an intensive system, there's challenges there. How do growers go about controlling yeah. weeds? Yeah, and look, this is where the rotation comes in, and there's a lot of permutations. As I said, sequential cropping, you go from one crop to the next. So as an example, uh, a grower might cut their last cane in about June or July and then go into a mung bean crop in August, September, have a little break, and then they'll plant soybeans. Yeah, wow. Mm, Sounds very busy. <laughs> it is very busy. Yes, it is very busy. So in, in that system, you can help your weed control and address some of these weeds. You could use products like a mazapur or spinnaker right. because the length of time it carries over the two crops and you usually, if you get rain, you've got enough time by the time you go back to cane that it's not affecting the cane. Obviously, a very risky product uh, if you do short turnarounds. Yeah. We do have problems, and so in controlling some of the other broadleafs, like, for example, the Cisbania and some of the others, the cane system or even a, a corn or a, a sorghum crop is usually a really good way to get on top of some of the broadleafs for the legumes that come afterwards. Right. Okay. But everyone's very conscious of weed management or any sort of chemical management, whether it be fertilisers or uh, chemicals in this region, because the water, the catchment runs into the Great Barrier Reef. Yes. And so there's increasing 
focus on managing runoff in any shape or form and minimising that. A lot of work done by our growers in that area. Yeah, so in terms of non-chemical weed control tactics, you've kind of mentioned that the crop rotation really helps in that regard. Is there any other tactics that growers use from a non-chemical perspective in terms of weed control? Yeah, look, the cane requires very heavy cultivation, uh, particularly to get beds ready for planting the billets and also at the end of the season because there's a lot of root system and rebuilding of the beds they build for for irrigation. So there's a really good opportunity there and using, you know, tech tactics because water isn't short of a pre-irrigation because the ground's so dry Mm. and then letting weeds germinate and being able to kill them before you plant the next crop in the sequence. Okay. And you might do a light cultivation or whatever. So, yeah, with some good smart management, these things work quite well. And and they also, there's synergies with nitrogen cycling, particularly if you grow legumes. Yeah, definitely. And before we wrap things up, Stephen, is there anything else that you'd like to add on this topic? Look, I think one of the things that we've learned is that although from a grains perspective, it's not huge areas, but they're relatively small areas grown quite intensively and very reliably emerging in this part of the world, which I think is going to start to spread to other areas in the north. Not that there's a lot of irrigation, for example, the Ord River, where there's mung beans being grown again now. So it's been a really nice addition to what's going on here in the north and for some of these legume crops to stabilise them for the south when they're in drought. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for taking us all the way up north to the Burdekin. <laughs> it's not a region we get to chat about too often, so it's always really interesting to get an insight of, yeah, a very different system compared to what we normally would be talking about. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Jessica. <laughs>